Welcome back to Election Edition 2021 of PodBN. The election is on April 6th. Really encourage you to get informed about the candidates that will be on your ballot so that you can get out on election night and make this important choice for Bloomington Normal. And to help you make those choices, we are bringing you some interviews with some candidates. And today we're talking to the second candidate from Ward 5, Patrick Lawler. Before we bring Patrick on, I want to thank Lil Beaver Brewery, our sponsor for Election Edition. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to pull this off, and um, Lil Beaver gave us the extra push to get this through and make this possible. So thank you a lot, Lil Beaver. Really encourage you to go check them out. Now that restaurants have opened up, they are a great place to go. Wonderful uh, atmosphere inside. They've got old beer kegs set up. They've got some gaming machines if that's your thing Um, but they've also got family friendly areas they've got kids meals in there great place to hang out as a family and one of the nice nicest patios in town justin bellis who of bellis landscaping and uh, his whole crew there have done a great job um, of making that place a wonderful place to stay probably a little too cold right now in february when it's like eight degrees but when it's warming up, you got to get out there and check it out. It's over on Five Finance Drive in Bloomington. That's south of town by South Veterans. They are open 11 to 8 every single day. So go check out Little Beaver Brewery. And before you go, you might want to go to littlebeaverbrewery.com to check out what they have on tap. Now, Patrick Lawler, Ward 5, Bloomington. Three, two... And one. All right. We are joined now by Patrick Lawler, candidate for Ward 5, City of Bloomington City Council. Patrick, welcome to PodBN. Hey, it's, it's good to be on here. Yeah. Let's start off. I always like to you know, have you introduce yourself, I guess, to our listeners and just tell them a little bit about you, uh, how long you've been in the community, that type of thing. Yeah. So originally, I'm from the St. Louis area. I grew up in O'Fallon, Illinois. Um, so I'm a big blues fan, a big Cardinals fan. Um, not a lot of blues fans up here, but that's okay. But I came up here in, um, 2002 to go to ISU. Um, and so I graduated from there in 2006, uh, with a social science education, uh, major. And then I got a job here in town at normal community high school. And so I've been teaching there for the past 15 years. Um, I also, I met my wife at ISU. And so we have two wonderful kids, a a five-year-old and an eight-year-old that go to Colleen Hoos. Um, and we have been in the community since, and, and I guess I would say as a teacher, um, it's, this is a fantastic community to teach in. There's just so much it offers for students and so many people with different expertise that I've been able to kind of take advantage of and have come into my classes or bring my students out to them. It's, it's been awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and just to help our listeners kind of grasp, uh, where you're at, can you kind of draw the lines of ward five for me? So when you're in Ward 5, um, it kind of covers the area around Hedgewood, um, and then it kind of comes south from Hedgewood, and you uh, cross GE, and you get into those neighborhoods around uh, Rainbow Avenue and Clearwater Park, and it comes back through there. And then it also crosses over to the other side of uh, Veterans Parkway. And so you get over to the uh, TIF district there at the corner of Route 9 and Veterans, and then you've got the neighborhood behind that and where community players is. And then you've got the neighborhood kind of back behind uh, Ewing, uh, Ewing Park One right there. And so it's a, it's a large uh, ward and I feel like it's got a lot of diversity in terms of just the, the uh, number of neighborhoods and um, the number of different um, income levels that people are at. And so it's, just, it's a very kind of awesome neighborhood to live. And in many ways, I feel like it's kind of a microcosm of the, the city as a whole, kind of bridging the East and the West. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, and try to try the best you can to explain to our listeners why you decided to do this. Why run, <laughs> and put up the headaches of a campaign and why give yourself a, a part-time slash full-time job over the next four years? Yeah. I would say like my wife asked me that all the time. Like, why did you do this again? Um, and I, I will say like, it's, it's, it has been tough um, getting into this and then trying to teach uh, remotely at the same time, like teaching through a pandemic and trying to run a campaign in a pandemic, like it's, um, it's been a full-time job and I think itself. And I think most nights I'm up till two in the morning and I submit assignments back to my students and they're like, why did you grade this at one 30 in the morning? And I was like, don't, don't ask. Um, but 
what made me get into this is, is I would say it comes down to my values um, as a teacher. The way I run my classroom in terms of trying to make sure that I am intentional about seeking students out, about listening to students, about connecting them to the community, and making sure that everybody um, has their lived experiences respected and heard. Um, and I, I guess I just didn't really see that happening so much with the representation that we had in Ward 5. Um, and I, I guess it got to a point where I kind of thought, like, you know what, like, we need we need to do better in this ward. And so I decided that I would get into the race and try to make a difference. And so one of the one of the things I've liked the most in bringing that philosophy kind of to the campaign before I even submitted my petition signatures was walking down every street um, in every neighborhood and trying to talk to people and see what's going on. Because in, I don't think you can wait for people to come to you. Like as, as a representative, you have to be intentional about going to them, right? It's like when we talk about everyone has a seat at the table, like the table is already out there. We're the ones that need to go to their table um, as opposed to waiting for them to come to us. Very good. Well, Patrick, I'll, I'll jump in. This is Jeremy. Um, wanted to jump in with a question. You, you as a teacher know you get to set the rules in your classroom, so we'll set the rules here and say uh, that you get elected, and day one, we grant you the ability to set the agenda for the city. So um, what what's day one issues look like? What's the most important <laughs> priority for you? If, if you were in charge, what what's agenda day one look like? Oh my gosh, that is a tough question to answer because I feel like as I've, the longer I'm in this, the more issues that I kind of learn about and the more passionately I feel about each and every one of them. So I don't know if I can say one thing, but I guess I can say a couple things. Sure. Um, and this maybe this is just because it's the, the recency effect that it's been on my mind this past week. But um, in terms of hearing about uh, WGLT's article and, and about uh, the cold snap coming and you have nonprofits like PATH that are kind of screaming out for help that like, they don't have the money they need to be able to um, find housing for homeless individuals uh, during this cold snap that I would like to see the city of Bloomington um, kind of develop better emergency plans for um, extreme weather events. Um, so that'd be one of those things that I think everyone would be on board with. I think it's something that we could get done quickly. And I think it's something that's very people centered because ultimately what's more important than a government making sure that people aren't dying outside in extreme weather events. Um, and after the election, I mean, it'll be late spring, but, you know, summer's going to be coming right up and we're going to have heat waves in the summer. And so making sure we have a plan like that in place. Um, that's one of those things that, that I would definitely want to try to get done pretty quick. Very good. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Justin. Oh, go ahead, Jeremy. Do you have a follow up? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, are, are there any other issues that I know you said that's one that, that there's a couple other, any other big issues that are kind of top of mind of, Hey, we need, we need to start tackling this focus. Focusing yeah. on this right now. So um, in terms of the people I've been talking to in this ward a lot, one issue that's come up is, is, is housing um, and making sure that we have affordable housing options um, and, and not just uh, affordable housing options, but also like quality housing options. Um, and so one of the things that's been on my mind, honestly, for, for years now is um, our residential kind of inspection uh, program that we have. Um, we only have two residential building inspectors for the entire city of, of 80,000 people. Um, and sadly, it was about, I think, three years ago now, um, across from Lowe's, there was an apartment building that um, burnt down. And so when I looked at that, that, that apartment complex had over 200 um, uh, violations against it. There were smoke alarms not working, windows that wouldn't open. And we were very lucky that, that no one died in that fire. And so I would like to try to um, increase uh, the number of residential inspectors that we have and maybe try to work towards some sort of a kind of a cooperative compliance program where the residential inspectors can actually work with the owners of those properties to give them some tips and some suggestions and how they could go about making the needed changes. Um, from what I've been reading, a lot of times those sorts of programs get um, owners to go beyond just kind of um, minimum requirements for making fixes. I'd also like to look at, I guess, how the administrative court is working out on that, that side of things, especially now that we've kind of reconfigured our economic um, and community development department. I would kind of like for us to see, like, I'd like to talk to, I think, Melissa Hahn and just ask, like, is this working? You know, are we having these, these properties that are, are dangerous and unsafe being given extensions that are, are, are too long and that are putting people's lives potentially in danger? Um, and so that's, that's an issue. 
Um, do you want me to give another issue or? You can keep going. It's good. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Like the teacher in me comes out and it's just, I get passionate and I get into stuff and I can't. Hey, people are listening to this because of you, not because of us. So <laughs> I guess something else. I mean, you know, as a teacher, I know we're getting vaccinated now and, and we're trying to move through COVID. Um, but I think a lot of people have this sense that like, oh, it's just going to be over in a month or it's going to be over in two months. And I, I don't think that's the case. And so I want to make sure that we as a city are, are still getting direct aid out to the people that live here in terms of some of the aid for um, rent and in terms of the aid for like childcare um, and utilities that, that we've been doing that we've had set up up to this point. Um, and, and we're getting it to small businesses as well. Because I think if you look back to last spring, that was what allowed us to weather um, COVID better than a lot of surrounding areas. We were really quick at getting some of that community development block grant money out to people, out to businesses. And so you saw our unemployment go from 15% in the spring down to 4% in the fall. And so I think that we can't assume, oh, it's over, we're fine. Businesses are really hurting. People are really hurting. I think if we push austerity now and that we don't help people and businesses out, that the effects of that are going to be felt years down the road. Um, in our community. And I think we're in a pretty good position to do that. We just got 3 million, uh, I think 3.2 million from the CARES Act in November that went into our general fund that we'd be able to spend in that way. And, you know, we, we've, and our, our general fund is sitting at, I think, like 24 million. Um, and so we've got the reserves that we're expected to have. And I feel like if, if we have some rainy day funds, well, it, it's pouring outside. So if you don't use it now, like, I don't know why you would have a rainy day fund. And so, that's another issue. Um, yeah, that, that's really pressing on my mind from kind of day one there. Very good. Um, let's. I want to turn the focus back to uh, Ward 5 for, for a few minutes. What is some of the, the trophies, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, of Ward 5? Why, why is Ward 5 a valuable part of the community? What's some attractions there? What is, what's so great about being in Ward 5? So I think... So from my own personal experience, um, living in Ward 5 and raising two kids, we absolutely love the parks. Um, we walk down to Clearwater Park just about every single day, um, and we just, they just put in new playground equipment there. And so we love that. Um, Community Players Theater, something that I don't know if a lot of people realize is in Ward 5. Um, and I know as a family, every summer they always put on musicals that are geared towards children. Um, and so before COVID, we would always enjoy going to those. And then they'd show holiday movies in December. And so it's just a great kind of community space for people to come together in. Um, and so, you know, you've, you've got that going on. Um, and you've got the Constitution Trail that kind of cuts through uh, Ward 5 as well, which is awesome that, you know, um, it's it's within reach for most people to kind of get on there. And I just, like I said, I think the the, the diversity of the people that that live within that ward um, is pretty amazing um, that you have people of so many different income levels and backgrounds. And I guess one other thing I, I almost forgot, I can't believe I almost forgot because it's one of the like most amazing things we have is the YWCA um, in terms of like all the services they provide. I mean, I, once I ran, they were one of the first groups I called because I wanted to know like, Hey, like what services do you provide? Like how can, if I get elected, how could I help you um, out from city council? And they were like, yeah, like we provide childcare for, um, low-income families, you know, like we have, they have stepping stones over there to um, support uh, uh, victims of sexual assault. They have a program to help formerly incarcerated women like re-enter society, the labyrinth. And so they're doing like amazing work um, that is helping everyone in the community. They are. I, I, I'm always amazed at how much they, they carry on. Um, they do it. They do a lot of diverse and, and some amazing things. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you had disagreements with uh, the current alderman of Ward 5, Johnny Painter. But before we go on to maybe some of those, um, are there things that she's done in her tenure or maybe, uh, you know, Jennifer McDay before her that you would like to carry on and keep keep progressing? Any issues that you thought they brought to light that were really beneficial for the ward that you would like to highlight and maybe give them a little bit of a pat on the back or tell them that you're <laughs> going to continue on with some of those well yeah, so can I guess uh, maybe to address a couple things that I think the council is doing a, a pretty solid job at right now and that we've kind of gotten a better hold on in recent years? I, I would say one is just um, finances. I think the city is in, in really good financial shape right now. 
And I think council has done a good job getting there. And, and I hear people sometimes talk about how, oh, we're in horrible shape or we can't afford anything. And it's just, that's, that's not true when you really look at it. Like we need to be responsible and we can't just spend, 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 but we're in good shape. And so I think they've done a good job on, on that front. Um, and I, I think that we finally dealt with the pension issue. Um, we, we've dealt with the sick leave buyback issue. So we've, we've been kind of moving forward in that regard. Um, and I think our roads, I mean, a lot of people want to talk about roads, but I think we're getting to the point where we're, we're getting a hold on that situation, where we've now kind of digitized our um, sanitary uh, sewer, our storm sewer, our water lines, so that we go forward, we're going to be able to have a plan as we continue to address our streets, where, you know, when we rip up a street to cancel issues, um, and that's not necessarily something that we were doing in the past. And so, I mean, obviously we live in Illinois, so our roads are always going to be an issue because it seems like, I mean, I, I bike to work every day and the number of times that it seems like it's frozen and then it's not frozen and it's, it, so it's always going to be a problem, but I think we've gotten a hold on that. And so I think there's some issues like that, that council has been pretty, pretty productive on in those, in those regards. Okay. And so flip, flip side of that coin is um, what are some things, what are opportunities in Ward 5? I want to, I want to try to keep our focus there for just a few more minutes uh, before we go more citywide issues. But in Ward 5, what are some good opportunities that you think, you know, you can see now and that you'd like to address once you're elected? So I guess some of the things I've seen is, is just walking from neighborhood to neighborhood and each neighborhood kind of has very unique needs. And so let me just give you one quick example. Um, when I was getting my petition signatures, I was walking around the neighborhood behind Stevenson Elementary. Um, and I remember I, I, I talked to a couple people um, who were like, yeah, like I work late night jobs. I'm, I'm, I'm a janitor. I come back late at night. And they were like, you know, I, we would like better lighting back here in this neighborhood. Um, and that would make us feel safer. And so I, I've tried to look stuff up on that a little bit. And I think it was a 2019 study out of the University of Chicago that found that like improving uh, lighting within neighborhoods can reduce crime by up to 33%. Um, and so like, that's one of those things. I mean, it, it makes sense from a public safety standpoint. I mean, it's making our neighborhood safer. And also if we switch those light bulbs to LED, which would provide more light, it would also save us money. Um, I think the average cost would go from like $13 per uh, month for uh, a light down to $5 per month. And so like, it makes sense financially. It makes sense from a public safety standpoint. And so I'd, I'd like to see us kind of move on issues of that nature. And I think also, as I mentioned before, kind of looking at how we are handi handling um, building inspections, we have a lot of apartments, um, a lot of apartments in, in Ward 5. You've got that corridor of apartments there off of Route 9, kind of across from Lowe's, back behind kind of Dick's Sporting Goods. You have a lot of apartments. And I think we really need to make sure that we're keeping the interests of those people um, in, in, at heart as well. And I guess one final thing, and I know that Connect Transit has a plan for this, to have all the, the bus stops ADA compliant by 2024. But I would kind of like to work with the Connect Transit Board and see, like, is there anything we can do to try to accelerate that process? Because there's a lot. I, I run a lot. And, well, I used to run a lot. I don't anymore because my knees are, <laughs> like, my knees won't let me. Um, but I, I can't tell you the number of bus stops I've run by. And, and even the one right, right by in front of the YWCA that so many people use for those services is, is not yet ADA compliant. And so seeing those accessibility issues and those basic everyday needs of people, just kind of lifting those up a little bit. Yeah, and, and I think I'm I'm I might be speaking uh, out of turn or something, but I think Town of Normal. I heard uh, Mayor Coos on the radio talking about how this Town of Normal is working with Connect Transit on some of the bus stops throughout the Town of Normal. Uh, I'm not aware of the City of Bloomington doing that. I'm not saying they're, they're not, but um, yeah, that, that that sounds like a good idea as well too. And I like what you mentioned about lighting, only because I've been saying lighting downtown uh, is a necessity for <laughs> yeah. a lot. So I, I agree with that. Um, Is that. Can I ask you a quick question on that? Of course. Because I, I, I know y'all like to get dive into some of these issues. Is yeah, yeah. the lighting, is that something, because we have a, a, a tech commission, don't we? Is that something that they are looking at? Do you know, or? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, they should be. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really, I really don't know. Um, okay. I, so speaking of downtown, like you, you were talking about more of the street lamps and things, but like, we can do that in a more decorative way, way downtown, right? right? Like through, you know, decorative lighting and things. That's what I've been advocating for uh, to kind of check multiple boxes off of, right. of, of that list. But 
Um, let's put our focus more towards Word 5 anyway. One of the things that just recently came about um, over the last couple of weeks is the intersection of Route 9 and Veterans Parkway. Um, they released some of those different options that are available. I want to get your thoughts on those. Maybe there's an option you favor more than the other. So, um, yeah, no, I remember when they did that. And that's so IDOT's going through that process right now to try to address that because, you know, we did have that issue. Um, sadly, a couple of years ago, there was uh, the young man that worked at, at Pizza Ranch that was crossing the street there that got struck by a car and, 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 and died. And so I think we need to address it. It's one of the most dangerous intersections in our community. Um, and as someone who bikes a lot, like I, I bike to work every day. I work at Normal Community. But my kids and I like to bike on, 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 you know, we'll bike to Uptown Normal, we'll get on the trail or we'll bike and we'll go to the farmer's market um, on Saturdays and in, in, in the summer in, in downtown Bloomington. And there's not really a place to cross there. Um, really, if, if you want to cross Route 9 right now, the only safe place, you have to go down to the trail, which is quite a ways north. Or the second safest place I found is um, to cross on Washington there. But to get there, you have to cross over um, Route 9. And so that's another road that's, you know, not when you don't want to be crossing too often. And so I looked over all the options. It's something that not really being much of an uh, engineer or someone who's looked at a lot of those, I don't necessarily know which is the best. But to me, one of the things that's a priority is having a safe crossing. Um, somewhere to get across route or somewhere to get across veterans and and. and it's a pre, even if it costs a little bit more, I would like to see us having a safe path for that so that we don't have other people getting struck by cars or, or killed in that intersection. I, I would agree. I mean, I, I bike a lot myself. And if you're not biking across veterans at the trail, um, I tend, I live more towards um, the southern southeast Bloomington now. Um, so I do Lincoln a lot. I'll pass at Lincoln um, or sometimes up by State Farm. I think it's Jackson Street. There's a little cut out there, but neither of which are ideal. Um, so, right. um, yeah, I, I think we need some sort of crossing a Veterans Parkway further south. I would agree with that, too. Yeah. And I'll throw in that, that I, I really appreciate and I agree with. Uh, I like the the concept of as we're doing other construction or other upgrades or other that plan and integrated in at that point, uh, one of my personal pet peeves is when we, you know, come in and say, "Hey, we're we're going to add this or do that," and then, you know, two years later, you're tearing the road up because the sewer failed underneath it, and you should have you should have done it all at once, right? Um, you hear a lot of the talk of the complete streets and, and those sort of things, and I've long advocated that you can get there if you do it incrementally as right. you're doing these other changes. So I, I, I'm I'm with you. I do think that there needs to be if you're going in and you're fixing that intersection up put a crossing and make it safe. Um, yeah. and, and then you might not have the other infrastructure. It'll get there eventually. And I see it as it's, it's an investment into people and it's an investment into our community. And so much of um, our community, I feel like the way we design stuff that our behavior follows based on that design. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and how, we, how we interact with the landscape around us. And so we need to constantly keep the way people act and the way people be behave. And maybe this is like the psychology teacher, like, like coming out inside me. But I think we always need to keep that in mind when we um, design these sorts of things. And I like too that like IDOT asked for, you know, input from the community. Like, yeah. and I would hope that they would use that input and, and that people are providing input into what, what would people like to see there in terms of making that more user-friendly for people. And like you said before, with the, the, the patches, that get, when we redo a road and then we have to rip it out to fix it, those patches aren't going to have nearly the integrity um, long-term going forward. And so I think that's, that's an issue when, we, when you know, we have to continually be going back to a road. We have already a lot of infrastructure to take care of. And I don't think a lot of people realize just how many roads there are in Bloomington. I mean, the east side of our city exploded in a very short amount of time in the 90s and early 2000s. And so one of the things I think as a city council we need to keep in the back of our heads is a lot of that maintenance is really going to start coming due at around the same same point. And that that is one of those future um, long-term issues. And I don't, like, I don't have an answer to that. I don't know if many people do at this point. Like, I I want to learn more about that. I want to make that something that we try to look into um, and, and making sure we're able to keep up with those long-term infrastructure costs, especially um, what is the neighborhood that um, the, the Grove mm -hmm. that was put, which um, 
think that the city spent like 10 or 11 million dollars and I think we've recouped maybe like is it like 2 million or not, nowhere near as much as, as we put into that and when that maintenance starts coming due I mean it's not going to it's not going to pay for itself I guess is what I'm trying to say and we need to we need to be mindful of that um, that that this infrastructure carries those long-term obligations with it very good. Well, we are, believe it or not, at the about halfway point of the podcast already. Um, and we like to play a little game. If you ever listen to our previous election edition episodes of different election cycles, we like to do a little thing called rapid fire. Uh, so I'm going to kick it over to Jeremy and let him uh, explain what he's going to be doing. Okay. Yeah, really, really, really tough game. I'm just going to shoot out some uh, different issues, concepts, words, et cetera. Want you to give kind of first thing that pops into your mind, you know, the uh, five five words or less sort of, of thing, and uh, you know, we, we keep very strict to that too. So. Okay, that's that's uh, going to be tough. That is going to be tough. That, well, <laughs> your politicians like to talk, I hear. So, uh, okay, with, with, with the setup of that, uh, first one is downtown Bloomington. Um, lots of people. Um, I think there are a lot more people have been moving down there, and we oh, need better. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Yep, five, okay. five, five. Sorry, words. sorry, sorry. <laughs> Oh gosh, I'm already terrible at this. You you, you were money for, for the beginning, <laughs> and then it's that second instinct. Uh, second one, connect transit, um, accessibility. Um, I would say, um, and just being responsive to the routes that we need. Um, O'Neill Pool, um, very important, an investment in the community and West Side. The Bloomington Public Library. Need to try to figure out how we can use uh, see what the community around it needs, so that we can integrate that into it. Constitution Trail. Invaluable. One of the things that's super special about our community. Economic development. Um, important to attract new businesses and support the businesses that we have here. All right. I think those were for five words. Yeah, yeah I, guess, I feel like instead of just giving five words, I tried to squeeze more words into a shorter amount of time. I don't know. Maybe that's cheating on that a little bit, but... And we might, have an, we, <laughs> we might have an opportunity to expand on uh, some of those here in the second half. Uh, but before we do, I want to open up the conversation to the thing that's on everybody's minds and TVs, which is COVID and the pandemic uh, that we've all been under over the last year. I want to get your take on how you think the city uh, specifically has responded to COVID over the last year, um, throughout the last year, and then what we could do hopefully when COVID uh, and this pandemic get behind us um, what we can be doing moving forward to help recoup some of the, you know, economic uh, catastrophe that's happened as well as, you know, individual people and their lives and their jobs. So right. um, I'll let you kind of run on that, but as a pandemic and COVID as a, as a topic, how do you think we've done and what can we do in the future? So I think, like I said earlier, I think the city did a great job when the pandemic started. We were proactive and not even just the city, but like our businesses, our schools closing down. We were really able to keep things under control compared to a lot of other places, which is, is super important. Um, and like I said before, I, I think we need to continue to um, use the funds that we have. And I think we just got another like 200,000 plus with the CBDG funds. We need to get that out to people for help with rent, utilities, um, their needs. And I think we need to continue to pursue small uh, uh, grants and like uh, no interest loans to, to businesses that need it to kind of get through this as well. In terms of the aid we direct to small businesses, I'd like us to focus on some of those uh, areas that have been hardest hit. So like restaurants, entertainment venues. And I would also like for us to prioritize businesses that have been compliant with um, local health measures. Because I think, I think there are so many businesses that are hurting because they've been responsible and they've put the community first and that I don't think those businesses that have kind of, kind of cheated some of those rules a little bit should be given the same priority as those businesses that have kind of, you know, done the things that they, they needed to do. Um, also, I guess going forward, and maybe this is just my vantage point as a teacher, um, you know, aside from just assistance to people and businesses is right now with the vaccine going out, um, that is like a Herculean task, I feel like, for our um, county health department to be able to, to, to manage. Um, but I think it, it kind of shows that, that, that moving forward, trying to get better coordination between maybe the municipal governments, how can we bring them in to help the county health department with some of this stuff? Um, because there's going to be mistakes along the way, but it'd be nice to get as many stakeholders into this, those sorts of discussions as well, just to come up with kind of the best way to, to, to do that. And I think we're getting better as we've gone on with that as well in terms of, of having more supply and having more options for people to kind of get vaccinated in our community. 
Hey, Patrick, I got two follow-ups on COVID given, given uh, what you touched on here. The first one, um, so you talked about the businesses that have kind of followed the rules uh, versus the ones that aren't and, and giving some incentive or, or uh, um, help or, or extra, you know, extra something that those followed the rules. On the flip side, as you're probably aware, um, you know, those businesses that, that um, did not or chose to stay open, um, some of them are getting fines that, that it's going through the liquor commission um, and, and, um, issuing fines for that action. What's your position on that? Do you feel that's an appropriate uh, use? You know, should it be going through the liquor commission? Is that right? Do you support that, or are you against it, or is there a different path? I I, I supported that approach, um, and I mean, ideally, the the world we have is is that you would be able to get voluntary compliance, and that you try to work with businesses to get that. I mean, as a teacher, I know the way I run my classroom is I I try as little as possible. I don't. I think I've written a referral in like. 15, in the entire 15 years I've taught there, usually you try to work with people and figure stuff out. Um, but in cases where, you know, business, some businesses are not necessarily going to follow those rules. And I would say there's, there's a, a wide range of violations as well. Do you know, you, you know what I mean? Like there's some businesses that are, when they did open are, are trying to follow the rules and they're just trying to get by. And then there's some businesses, and I don't want to name any business, but there are some that have flagrantly violated the rules and, and created a much larger health risk to the community. And I would think, especially for those, those much larger risks to the community, that those kind of, um, those measures you just mentioned would be kind of more appropriate kind of in those sorts of, of, of spaces. So it gets uh, just tacking on there. Um, yeah, I'm sure you, you know the arguments a little bit there of, of you know, the opponents there would say, well, hold on a second. There hasn't been exposure. There hasn't been negatives or even the health department said we're doing this safely. Um, does that create any issue in your mind as far as how can you strike that balance of, Hey, we need to voluntarily, as you said it, you know, work together as a community versus um, kind of the enforcement arm of the government stepping in and, and saying, Hey, this, this is what you've done wrong. And others are saying, show me a law or show me the, you know, it's a, it's a weird area, right? It is a weird, weird area. And I would say it's an area that we're still navigating. And so I don't know, you know, I wish I could give you a more concrete answer on some of that. I I think it is kind of, I think it's just, it's just inherently a gray area. And as someone who's still learning a lot, as I kind of go through this candidacy, like I'll acknowledge there's probably a lot more I would like to know about these sorts of situations to be able to give maybe even a more informed position on it. Um, but I, I don't know if I really have anything to add at this point to that conversation where I'm at. That's fair. Uh, your perspective as a teacher, I, I'm curious. Um, we've been talking to other candidates and talking about this issue. You know, it's, there's a health component here. There's a mental health behavioral component. Uh, there's an economic component. Um, you being a teacher, seeing, seeing uh, mental health and, and the, I think you mentioned earlier, you know, kids playing sports, having that yeah. access, that energy. Um, what's your views there? I mean, obviously IHSA has been, Justin and I were talking the other, I would not want to be making those calls. I mean, it seems like it's changing. The situation's changing. <laughs> you're having to react. Um, but at the same time, as a parent of somebody that is very involved in sports, you, you have kids, you know, that there's a, that there, there's a real need there. There's, there's right. a piece there. So how, how do you balance that as, as a right. council member? Kind of what's your approach and thinking there? So I, I guess there's a, a lot to kind of unpack in that question. Um, yeah, right. I guess the first thing I would say is as a teacher, kind of from what I've seen at, at my end as a teacher, is that um, there are some students that um, I, I guess struggle more at home than other schools in those situations. There are some students that might not have ideal situations at home that would be able to learn a lot better in school. So like I think I, I acknowledge all of those individual circumstances and respect the experiences of, of all of the people as in our community as I try to move through this. Um, but I guess my, I guess my primary concern when it comes to a lot of those issues right now is kind of safety um, of people and of our community. Certainly. I have a, I have a hundred year old grandmother that, that lives in an assisted living home here in town. And I think about her a lot. Like I've, I think I've seen her like three times in the past year. And like, I, we don't know how many years she has left. And I, I want to have some time to see her, and it's been tough, but we, we have to do what we can to keep people safe in our community. And so it's not easy, and I, I recognize that, I acknowledge that, and I realize it's a sacrifice that we're all having to make, and that sports are important, and I couldn't have imagined as a high school student myself when I was in high school and I played hockey if I had to give up a, a season, 
that's, that's a huge thing. These kids that are giving up prom and they're giving up. And I think we need to respect the sacrifices that they've made as well. But I don't know. I always come back to my grandma and I, I, I don't know. I, sorry. No, 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 I appreciate the honest perspective and that we're, we're all battling that. Right. Like I have, I have family members as well with, with health concerns. So it's, it's how do you strike that balance? And we're all, all trying to figure that out. And uh, yeah, it's tough. And, and I think that just lends it lends itself to um, being empathetic uh, of everyone's situation. Right. Because um, to both of your points, like we're, we're everybody individually is battling this in a different way, but very similar to um, we all have family members. We all, you know, we all know kids that are sacrificing things um, work and, and parents trying to balance. I mean, being at home while your kids at home and not being able to work and how do you make rent or pay your mortgage? Right. And, yeah. I mean, all those things. It, it's like what Jeremy alluded to him and I were talking and I'm, I'm really thankful that I'm not in that position to have to make those tough decisions. Cause um, it, I couldn't imagine. I want to go back uh, a little bit, Patrick, and just uh, talk about, cause it sparked a memory for me and I'm off on the side Googling this to make sure I wasn't uh, speaking incorrectly. But um, you mentioned the, incentivizing with whether it's, um, you know, grants or, or however those businesses that were following those COVID regulations. Um, the city of Peoria did this uh, back in January and that it sparked a, a thought in my head. So that's what I was Googling. Uh, they reduced um, the taxes on gaming machines for those businesses that followed the COVID uh, protocols by 50%. Um, but any business that was found in violation uh, had to pay full price. And then going forward to get those uh tax reduction, they would have to continue to comply, of course. Um, is that what you're talking about? Something along those lines, maybe not specifically that, but something along those lines to help um, those those businesses that were following the rules? So I, I was mainly speaking about um, not even just those types of incentives, but making more grant money accessible um, or even those no interest loans. When we're going to be giving those out to businesses using their whether or not they had been compliant with some of those measures as, as a determination of where they fall in that line to be able to kind of have access to some of those uh, funds that the city could possibly provide. Very good. Very good. Would you in be terms of other things, yeah. I'd be, I'd be willing, I like, I don't know a lot about that program. It's something that, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't really want to say anything about a, t- a subject that maybe I don't know a ton about yet. Um, so I, Sorry, I'm not trying to dodge the question. I just don't want to. Yeah. I realize I, there's a lot that I'm still learning, and so I don't want to. Um, but I'd be willing to learn about things like that and and consider other alternatives as well. Yeah, and it I sounds like you're. I don't even know a lot about it. Like I said, I had to Google it. It just <laughs> like you said that, and that memory popped up on my head of I think I heard Peoria do something, and so that's what I was doing over here. Uh, but just, and if I, I'm here. If oh, I'm hearing I'm you right, it sounds like you're you're saying that you'd be comfortable with both a stick and carrot approach. That you yeah, know, the the ones that are you know here's here's your yeah. your incentive to do that, and the ones that aren't, then you're comfortable with you know more of the, yeah. the enforcement or whatnot. Can I bring up one other thing that I think sparked something in my mind as well that we haven't really touched on in this uh, interview yet? When you mentioned kind of mental health issues, and and I, I just not even so much just related to COVID, but just in general. Um, one of the things that I think we can do as a community is I think we need to be a little more cognizant of um, the mental health needs of the people that kind of live within our community. And I, I come back again to that issue of public safety, that, that that's an issue of public safety, that, that we could ad- address some of those issues. Because I could be wrong, but I believe the largest provider of mental health services in our uh, community right now is the McLean County Jail. Um, and so when I think about that, I think of like, what is our priority as a community, you know? And, and I'm glad the jail provides those services. I'm glad that people there are having access to those services. But what would happen if we had better outpatient long-term care options within our community that is uh, accessible for people of moderate and, and, and low income? And I see this as a teacher, right? Especially with um, kids that oftentimes when kids have uh, mental health needs, we don't always have the services available to them in our community and they have to go outside to neighboring communities to have those needs met. And that like, that's one of those things that I'd like to see us kind of address here in this community, because I think a lot of times, I I guess, well, backing up even a little bit more, I guess as a teacher, I feel like in just my 15 years of teaching, I've seen more and more responsibilities get thrown at me as a teacher where it's like, okay, now you need to be aware of this and this and this. And it's, it's my job. Like I'm going to take on whatever they throw at me. Like the kids I teach, like matter, 
so much to me. Like I care about them more. Like, so I'm going to do what I need to do to help them. Um, but then I think about the way we've addressed issues in the larger community. And I think oftentimes when we have issues, we just assume this is, this is a problem that we can just have the police manage or the, the police can manage this. And I think that we've done that same thing to the police where we say like, you can de- you're going to deal with this now and you're going to deal with this and this. And I think that's a way of managing it, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a reactive approach, right? And I think as a community, when it comes to public safety, we need a council that's going to have kind of the courage to address some of those underlying issues, right? Like I said, like some of those mental health needs, or can we make our neighborhoods safer through um, increased lighting? Or I think passing a welcoming city ordinance is, is another one of those things that is a public safety issue. Because I think when people aren't comfortable reporting crime or um, communicating with emergency responders or city staff, like that's, that's not good. I mean, that's, that's, makes our community less safe. And I think we need to make sure that we include everyone in um, our sphere of this community to, to kind of make it a better place. Yeah, I, I, I'm 100% behind you on the mental health um, component of it, especially for um, the youth, the services just, I mean, they're just not there. And they're not just, they're not just absent in Bloomington, normal McLean County. They're, they're absent in a large part of our community around here. Um, I have personal experience with that. And um, I do a lot of, I, I try to do a lot with PATH and some of the resources we do have, but there, there's not enough that can be done. Uh, we need government involvement in that issue. So I, I, I stand behind you there. I'd love to talk to you more about that offline. I don't want to take yeah. up all your, all your time well, on the podcast. No, no, I, I would say too with PATH, like they have to cover such a large area. And that's, it comes back to like those homeless shelters as well, right? And that's kind of one of those things where like the city needs to step up and, and we need a city that's going to be providing for those services that's, that are going to make us safer, like mental health services or an emergency plan um, for weather. And it's, I don't know, it's, those are the sorts of things that I'm super excited to get in a government and try to make this place work better for working families. And those are the margins. So we do have probably about six, seven minutes left. So I want to make sure we at least hit a few of the kind of big things that I know are always going to be campaign issues. I want to give you a, a couple minutes to to kind of go over your thoughts on them. A lot of them we touched on a little bit during the rapid fire a rapid fire uh, round. But one that I've always uh, I can't shut up about is downtown Bloomington. What do you think? <laughs> um, and, I'll, and I'll tie connect transit to it too because of uh, the transfer center being in the news recently. They just released those three potential sites. What do you think on those? Um, do you have a preference over one, pros, cons to any of them? What kind of impact do you think that'll so, make? So, yeah, first off, I think our, I think everybody involved with that that transfer station did an amazing job getting the eighteen million dollars in grants. Like that's our tax money coming back to us. That's something we should all be happy about, you know. Um, and so that's awesome. Um, I, I personally kind of, I guess, like the C two East spot just because I think it's situated between downtown and the library with the renovation that's happening. Um, so I'd like to see that. When it comes to Connect Transit, like I said before, the issues with accessibility, like we're making that transfer station, but something else is that's, that's at the front and center of everything I think about are the people that live in Ward 5. And I want to make sure that everybody is able to use Connect Transit. And I also want to make sure that we maintain it fair free. I, I think that's set to expire in March. And I know we put that in place because of... Uh, uh, COVID, but I'd like to see that extended long term. And I know you're. I, I just want to pause because I know you see both me and Jeremy smiling, and I don't want you to think <laughs> it's. A, I, I I I went on a soapbox about fare free transit on a different. Dustin uh, might have mentioned it. Maybe talked about it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the other thing too you mentioned with downtown, and I, I realized I, I when you did the rapid fire, I, I had a hard time getting it out, but. The, the number of people living down there has, has exploded in recent years. Like we have a lot more people living down there, which is, is great that it makes the downtown more vibrant, but it also means the services down there need to be increased as well. Um, and I know there's been a lot of issues kind of with trash service in the downtown area. And so I think making sure we're providing the services that people need, especially for the people that are living down there. Um, I think to come back to accessibility again, I know we've got those Rust Belt grants that have traditionally been used for the facades, but I, I think now we, I think as of last November, we can start using those to make entrances more accessible as well. And so I'd like to try to make sure that uh, the business owners down there are having access to that. And I would just, you know, this is me not really having run for office and still learning a lot, but the feasibility of like maintaining some of those extended storefronts. I mean, I think that, that, that road is just like, it's, the, the, there's a lot of potential there. 
um, for us to make that a real community spot. You know, because like in Uptown Normal, there's the fountain, there's my kids will run around that for like an hour and I'm just like, okay, I'll bring a book and read and they can just play and play. And so making that space just more kind of, I guess, usable or like fun for families. And I don't have an answer there and I don't know, that'd be something that I would want to have like obviously the approval of the business owners and see what they think on it. Um, and like fairs and festivals. Like I love the farmer's market down there or uh, in, in, oh yeah, I love the farmer's market in downtown Bloomington. And I love the, the festivals they have in Uptown Normal, the uh, Sweet Corn and the Sugar Creeks Arc Festival. Like I bring my kids there, like we make a day of it. And like, oh my gosh, would it be amazing if Bloomington had some of those festivals around the square, around the courthouse, where we could just bring tons of people to downtown and have them experience everything there is down there to offer. And we've seen the success of it. WGLT's had their summer concert uh, around the square in downtown uh, for several years, and it brings so many people downtown. Um, now, I think the city could do, in my opinion, a better job of piggybacking off of those events and making it more than it is. Uh, or if you've ever been to the GLT summer concert, um, you know, there's thousands of people around that square, but there's not a lot else going on downtown during it. And if we're going to bring all those people downtown, like, let's show them what we can do has always been my, my thought behind it. Right. Criterion bike race comes into that. In yeah, my mind with yeah. That. I would also like for us to try to, if we're going to hold those festivals down there, make sure that we're very intentional about making sure it has a strong West side presence, you know, at that festival If if the neighborhoods that live around the other businesses that aren't even right in that immediate downtown area, that they can have booths or things set up where they can provide like food or there's, you know, like really use it to bring the community together. And I know what you said about those music events and those are great, but like, I don't think those are on a lot of people's radars that, that kind of have small kids or families. Maybe it's the way that they're advertised or just the nature of them, but I don't think it's, it doesn't have the same pull that like the Sugar Creek Arts sure. Festival or like some of those, those other events have. And I don't have an answer on how we get there, but it's something, it's a conversation I'd be interested in having on, on city council. Well, I have a bunch of answers for downtown, so let's... <laughs> We're running short on time, right, but you guys right. can talk for the next hour. <laughs> we'll have to talk offline, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I can never shut up about downtown, so I have plenty of ideas. Um, so we we are running uh, kind of close on time here. I do want to get one more thought uh, from you, and then I'm going to kick it over to Jeremy, see if he has any final questions for you. But um, Eastland Mall, kind of close to your ward, Um the intersection is probably, you know, one of the most expensive real estate intersections at the crossroads of two state highways. Um, what what can the city do? It's privately owned. What can the city do um, to try to revitalize the other side of Route 9? We've done a decent job, I think uh, most would agree, with uh, the side that now Dix and Home Goods is on. But what do we do across the street? So, um, wow. Yeah, that is a tough question. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, that's one of the toughest things that I, I think we have to deal with. Um, did you ask that question to Kelby and, and hear a little bit about the electric go-kart idea? I, we heard um, about electric go-karts. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I mean, but I think, I think okay, I, I love go-karts, but I think there is something to that idea of bringing in other entities in the community and we need to come together um, as a community to see like, what, what could we try to get done in that space? Um, and so like bringing in partners like Rivian or other nonprofits or groups and seeing like, what is the feasibility of, of these different ideas is, is a good approach to take. Um, and that we need an approach that's going to bring all of those different people with all of those different ideas. I mean, we have, we have all sorts of businesses, all sorts of nonprofits, all sorts of universities in this community. I think we can figure something out. And I know it probably sounds like I'm dodging this question a little bit, which I, I honestly, I guess I kind of am because I'm still, there's so much to learn about with so many issues that I don't necessarily know. And if what there the, was if there was a simple answer, we'd have it. Right. Now, so. <laughs> right. But, right. but you're but not I, dodging. You're on the record that you are for go-karts though. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yes. I think that sounds like an awesome idea, but I mean, it's, it is in bringing up the mall. I think that's where we also, I mentioned before, we have to consider the infrastructure needs of the East side. Like as we go forward, all those maintenance things are going to be hitting at the same time. And that mall is something that, yeah, it seemed like a great idea when it was built. Do you know what I mean? And so one of the things I think we need people on city council to, to have is some of that like um, ability to kind of think into the future a little bit about what are we doing? Is this, is this development working? Is it not going to work? And, and maybe 
I don't know, just be smart about things as we kind of go forward into the future with, with things. Very good. Jeremy, did you have uh, some final questions? No, no, go. Uh, actually, yeah. I, um, where, uh, what's a way that somebody could get in contact with you if they wanted to, uh, website, Facebook, et cetera. Uh, tell us a little bit about how people can oh, reach out. Oh, cool, cool. Want. So yeah, we've got, um, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram and we're on Twitter. It's Lawler for Ward 5. Um, and so just L-A-W-L-E-R, um, and then for Ward 5. Um, you know, I've got an email that's Lawler for Ward 5 at gmail.com. Um, if you go to the Facebook page, there's a, a, a phone number on there as well that you can contact, contact me at. And so, yeah, I would encourage people to reach out. I'd like to talk to as many people as possible. Um, and I'm also part of the, the People First Coalition, um, along with um, Kelby Cumston and, 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 and Ward 7, Willie Holton Halbert and uh, Ward 3. <clears throat> and then we've got Jackie Gunderson running for mayor. Um, and so you can reach out to us as a group through um, the, the People First Coalition. Um, and so that would be another way. And we're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the People First Coalition as well. Very good. All right. Well, the one last thing that we uh, must do, because we wouldn't be able to do these podcasts without a great sponsor. And we have one in Little Beaver Brewery. Uh, Patrick, have you been out to Little Beaver? Um I have not yet. I've gone to the Chocolatier and I always see Little Beaver Brewery there. And I'm like, hey, if my kids weren't with me and I had some time, I think I'd love to check that place out. Well, uh, they, they have sponsored all these election edition podcasts for us. So we are extremely grateful for that. And uh, they're at Five Finance Drive, like you said, across the street from the Chocolatier. They're open 11 to 8 every day. They have an amazing outside patio. I want to make sure I'm, I'm letting people know about that. Uh, because of the situation with COVID that we are in, you can still go out there and enjoy the amazing out, outdoor patio. Uh, it is family friendly. They serve food now. They have kids menu, pizza, burger, salad. So, Patrick, bring your kids next time. Uh, but check them out and thank them for sponsoring these podcasts we sure do appreciate it so yeah they also have those big garage doors right they yep exactly. part of the remodel that they can open those up and, and keep, yeah, the, awesome. uh, keep yeah. it heated inside but open yeah however that works but yes they yeah. do it. <laughs> they've spent they've spent a good deal of uh of money and time putting together what uh, an amazing facility so I, I encourage people to check them out and like i said when you're out there just thank them for sponsoring podbean uh that will help us help us out as well so patrick thank you so much for joining us uh, i know it's the weekend and i know as you said a teacher and running a campaign you don't have a lot of free time so we appreciate it yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. All right.